Well, hello friends. Thanks so much for joining us uh, today. It's great to be together. And the title for this message is somewhat obscure because it's this, Gehazi and the Third Generation Army. Gehazi and the Third Generation Army. And uh, I was praying in January of this year uh, while I was spending some time uh, overseas. And as I was praying, I just felt the Lord start to speak to me and say, Phil, I want you to help raise up a third generation army and that it's time for Gehazi to rise. And this is a message really themed around that moment. And uh, I know that all of you will be intimately connected with the story of Gehazi. But if you're not, let me catch you up to speed. So Gehazi was the servant of a prophet called Elisha in the Old Testament. And uh, many of you may know the story around the time of Elisha. Elisha uh, succeeded Elijah as the prophet in Israel. For many years, there'd been a prophetic wilderness in Israel. And then suddenly God raises up Elijah and Elijah becomes the prophet to Israel. And Elijah's prophetic ministry was really characterized by confrontation. He confronted the religious powers uh, that were in his day and challenged their godlessness and their rejection of Yahweh and called them back to repentance. And Elijah had a, an astonishing prophetic ministry that was mainly characterized by confrontation. And in the, the story arc, Elijah has a servant called Elisha. And Elijah passes his prophetic mantle onto Elisha. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2. And what we read there is that Elijah gave Elisha a double portion of the anointing that he carried from God. And so Elisha picks up the prophetic mantle and becomes the prophetic voice in Israel. And uh, he becomes really a message of consolidation, not confrontation in Israel. And he really consolidates what God was doing in the nation. So many of the miracles that happen in Elisha's life were a kind of home miracles. They were um, healing a widow's son uh, at home. It was providing clean drinking water. It was multiplying oil for food. Very kind of domestic miracles, but it was about consolidating God's work in the nation. But Elisha too had a servant called Gehazi. Gehazi, uh, the, the name Gehazi literally means uh, a, a valley of vision. And so I would suggest that Gehazi was the next in line to carry the prophetic mantle from Elisha in the same way that Elisha had from Elijah. And if Elisha received a double portion, what do you think Gehazi might have received from Elisha? Maybe a quadruple portion. Certainly the idea here is of generational legacy, that there is exponential increase flowing through the generations. Gehazi was meant to be this third generation prophetic movement in Israel that saw exponential blessing released in the nation. And yet what happens is tragic and appalling because Gehazi fails and falters and the prophetic ministry stops in the third generation. And so when the Lord began to speak to me, say, Phil, I want you to help raise up a third generation army. It's time for Gehazi to rise up. He was saying this, Phil, it's time to start praying for and engaging with my heart to raise up the next generation in your lifetime. And I believe that's a mandate on us as a church family in this season for all of us to play our part in leaving a legacy for a third generation that is coming through behind us. 
And the tragedy of so many uh, church movements through history is that they never get past the third generation. If you study moves of God or great revivals in the past, many of them never get past the third generation of people that have lived in that move of God for all sorts of different reasons. And for Gehazi, we won't read the story now because it's long, but you can read it in 2 Kings chapter 5. Gehazi ultimately succumbs to the sin of greed and entitlement and consumerism and hypocrisy and lying. And he uh, has a tragic end where he begins to contract leprosy and he doesn't become the voice that God intended him to be. And the movement of God finishes with him. It's a tragic story, but it's the story that we see play out so many times throughout history you know and we as a church we're really part of a stream called the restoration movement it started in the 1960s in the united kingdom and numbers of other nations where the holy spirit was just freshly poured out upon uh, individuals but also the church and people began to wake up again to the acts of the apostles and the need for the power and presence of the spirit in the life of the church today. And many new churches got started and birthed in the 1960s out of this move of the spirit. And new churches got started often in people's homes. It was often referred to as the house church movement because it started in people's living rooms. I got a friend who literally couldn't fit enough people in his front room so he knocked down another wall so that he could get more people into their meetings as they started to plant this new church and so our church has really come out of the slipstream of that move of God in the 1960s and you know my father was a a minister and a leader as part of that move of God he was part of a generation that saw the spirit fall again on the church and knew that that was what God had for them in their generation. And so I, in a way, am a second generation member of that movement. I am in my mid to late 40s. I'll let you guess how old I am. But I'm a second generation member of that. But my kids and those younger than my kids, they're they're aged in their early 20s. But if you're in your early 20s or younger, you are now part of the third generation of that move restoration movement of God. And so we have a, a critical moment in history to pay attention to. We're in the third generation moment of this move of God. And history tells us and Gehazi tells us, if we don't do something proactive and deliberate, then this move of God will fizzle out and decline and eventually die. If we don't pay attention to third generation issues, then the move of God will decline. But in God, we have a glorious opportunity to engage and say, what can I do to leave a legacy in the next generation so that Gehazi rises rather than falls? Um, Eric Hoffer uh, says this, he says, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business and eventually degenerates into a racket. He is identifying there often the arc of movements. They start well, then they institutionalize, and then eventually they decline in the third generation. And we want our story to be different than that. And part of how we do that is engage with third generation issues. And so the question before us today is, how do we actually do that as a church family? How do we create a legacy for the next generation that's coming through? How do we create a culture and an environment where those in their 20s and younger, what people often call millennials, where they can rise and play their part in God's story in their 
generation. How can we do that as a church family? Well, here are just a few thoughts. I and mean, the first one is this, we, we gotta create relationships, not distance. We've gotta create relationships, not distance. And if we wanna empower and encourage a next generation coming through, whether that's a, an 18 year old, or an 11 year old or a three year old, if we wanna play our part in seeing them be all God has called them to be, we've got to actually build some friendships and relationships rather than have distance between the generations. Scripture is very clear. It says one generation will commend your works to the next. In other words, God's plan is for family to work well and for all of us to spur one another on. And to do that, we've actually got to engage and build some relationships. You know, my Lauren, she's 23. She was recently in a, a, a large-ish uh, kind of Christian event midweek uh, of a whole room of church leaders praying from many, many different churches across the nation. And to, to be honest, the room was mostly full of men and mostly full of men uh, that had grey hair. They were in maybe their, their latter years. And that's not wrong. That's great. That's brilliant. You know, it's a great to have a room of people that faithfully follow Jesus uh, through their lives. It's a brilliant thing. But Lauren's comment as a, a single lady in her early 20s, she said, no one came and spoke to me. No one came over and said, hello. It's like they were scared to talk to someone in their early 20s, let alone a single woman in their early 20s. And she said it was just really noticeable to me. These older men huddled together to talk, but none of them crossed the room to talk to me because maybe I was different than them. Maybe it was intimidating. Maybe they didn't know what to say. But there was a sense of distance rather than an attempt to create connection and relationship. And friends, ultimately, we've got to be in it to win it. We've got to actually think, how do I play my part in engaging and creating relationship, not distance? And, you know, in church, we have a glorious opportunity because if you don't know where to start doing this, then a brilliant way to start is by joining one of our youth teams or our kids work teams. You know, we, we every week on a Sunday, we have between 150 and 200 under 11s show up across our three physical locations. I mean, that is astonishing every single week. And we never have enough team. We never have enough team. And I'll be honest, it's embarrassing sometimes because we should have the most team serving the next generation. That should be the place where all of us want to be to play our part in raising the next voices that will speak into the nation in our future. It's one of the most exciting places to be in church life. And so if you don't know where to start building relationships, just start by signing up to serve on a kids or a youth team. You know, we, we need over 50 extra volunteers to run our kids' work on a Sunday morning, at least, to really do what we want to do. The same with our youth work. We need people that are passionate about serving young people. And, you know, to be honest, you don't have to have the sharpest youth skills or kids' work skills in the world. You just have to be a willing volunteer who wants to say yes and just show up, play your part, be there. Instead of having that distance, create some connection. So I encourage you, even as you're watching this, I realize some watching this, you may not physically be able to come to church yet because of COVID and shielding and all the rest of it. I realize some of you will not be able to do that. But for those that can, I'd encourage you today, off, 
off the back of this message, go on our website, go to our serving page on our website and just say, I'm in, help, contact me, sign me up. I wanna play my part because I tell you what, we will all regret it if we don't pour our energies into the next generation. Maybe not now, but at some point in the future we will. So the first thing we can do is to create relationship. Second thing we do is build lives of authenticity, not performance. Lives of authenticity, not performance. And I was reading of a conversation of eight or so kind of millennials around someone's dinner table and a church leader was asking these guys and girls in their early 20s, what do you think about church life? Like, what does it look like to create a church that really serves your generation? And he said the fascinating thing was they all had completely diverse and different opinions. So some were like, we need shorter preaching, no more than 20 minutes, in fact, sub 20 minutes because people have short attention spans. But then others were like, no, no, we need longer messages of at least 45 minutes that go deep and take us into the, 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 the depths of the Greek and the history and the culture. We, we, we don't want superficiality, we need depth. A variety of opinions on worship. We need longer worship, we need shorter worship. If I bring my friends and the worship goes on and on, I'm just not sure that's gonna work. But others are like, we need longer worship just to be in the presence of God for a long time. Again, diverse opinions on pretty much everything you can think of, bar one thing. And that one thing that everyone around that dinner table could agree on is that the thing that reaches our generation are leaders and Christians who are authentic, who are real. Because this generation can spot a fake a mile off. And so if we want to be people that genuinely leave a legacy for the next generation, we need to ditch our addiction to performance and instead work on our character <laughs> and be people that are authentic and real and honest about the good and the bad and the ugly. Because this is magnetically attractive to the next generation. You know, people will often ask me or other leaders and say, what do you think God's been doing in this pandemic? And I think one of the key things he's been doing is that God is purifying his church from hypocrisy. And for so long, there's been a massive, massive fringe in the church, church's life, not just our church, lots of churches. And one of the things that we notice that that fringe is increasingly not there. I think one of the things that God is doing is that he is purifying us from being people that attend church or like to come to a show. But actually on the inside, maybe we're not really following Jesus. And so this has been a purifying, a humbling season in so many ways. See, millennials are not so much asking Christians and leaders, what are you going to do? But they want to know who you're going to be. That's the question. Who are you going to be? What sort of person are you going to be? I remember years ago as a very young boy uh, walking with my parents and suddenly blurting out to the both of them. Now, bear in mind, my dad at the time was a Baptist minister. He was leading a, a church. Uh, my mom was also a firm believer. They'd followed Christ all their lives. And as a little boy, I remember saying to them, you two don't act much like Christians. And they stop me in the middle of the street and they're like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean we don't act much like Christians? I said, no, 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 not you. You too, the rock band, 
They don't seem to act much like Christians, do they? And the sense of relief just kind of <laughs> filled their faces uh, as they realised I wasn't talking about them. I was talking about someone else. I was talking about the rock band, U2. And the, the, the reality is we've got to be people that are the same in public and the private spaces of our lives. And to be real, to be authentic. Character is going to count for so much more than competency. And this is brilliant and scary at the same time. Same time. It's brilliant because it means that all of us can engage with the next generation by cultivating this kind of lifestyle, to be those who work on our Christ-likeness, who work on our godliness, who work on becoming more like Jesus, and that we're real and honest about our failures and our weaknesses and our pitfalls along the journey. We are real. We are not finished works. We are works in progress. The grace of God is at work in my life. I am not what I yet want to be but God has promised he's going to finish every work in me we need to be those that can own that and if we do it's magnetically attractive to the next generation so it's brilliant because all of us can play our part you don't have to have a special skill set to reach the next generation just be authentically real and pursue Christ and become like him in your character it's scary as well because it means that there is a magnifying glass on you, particularly if you are in any kind of Christian leadership or responsibility at all, whether in the workplace or in the church family, because people are looking at whether you're the same in private and in public. They're looking to see how you talk about people in private and in public. They're looking to see if you're a person of prayer in private and in public. There's a magnifying glass and quite right too. So we've got to build authentic, authentic relationships. Thirdly, I've said a little bit about this, but we need to go for passion, not polish. Passion, not polish. When it comes to reaching the next generation, we've got to major on pe being people who are passionate about Jesus, not just having a polished show. You know, we want to do things well, and I don't think it glorifies God by doing things in a shoddy way, with no thought, being lazy with the gifts God's given us. I, I think... We honour God by stewarding to the best of our ability the gifts that God's given us. But sometimes we have such an addiction to excellence and performance that actually we lose connection with what is more important, which is we are people of raw passion for Jesus. And that is what a rising generation is looking for. In fact, a rising generation is increasingly cynical about things that look slick and things that are, look like a show. What people want, just look at TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. What, it, what is the most attractive things to a rising generation is something that is real, authentic, earthy, and accessible. We want to go for passion, not polish. You know, in the old wineskin, often we used to view a church that had the biggest platform or the biggest building or the best light show or the best PA system or the best musicians as the church that was most likely to grow and reach millennials. Well, I've got news for you. The opposite is actually true. <laughs> the churches across the world that seem to be growing most and be most effective with those in their kind of mid-twenties and below are churches that are a lot more mobile, but full of passion for Jesus and willing to go on an adventure and give it a go, but they're just fueled with a passion for the mission of Christ. And that is attractive to the next generation. And then lastly, we've got to choose risk over certainty. Again, every church or ministry I know that's doing really well with the next generation are willing to take risks. And we've got to sometimes realize that God changes us on the journey 
and that he doesn't wait for us to be the finished article before he starts using us. But it's easy to forget that as you grow older. It's easy for me to forget that how I am now in terms of what I know of God and how I've matured, I wasn't like this 25 years ago as a 20 year old. I wasn't, you know, I was immature. I was full of flaws. I was full of weaknesses. But one of the main ways that I grew is that somebody took a risk on me and created some space for me to grow and become more like Jesus. I made tons of mistakes, but people took risks with me. You know, I was just thinking, I first started to lead worship as a 15 year old. I only knew three chords, um, I remember discovering a capo and it was life changing because you could then play in any key. And when I first played, I'm sure I was pretty ropey, but someone took a risk and they said, come on, you can play three chords. You got a guitar. You, it's time for you to lead as a 15 year old. You know, I remember as a 16 year old going to evangelize outside a nightclub in Brighton where I lived with a whole bunch of my mates and I was playing guitar. We were singing songs outside this nightclub as everyone queued up to go in. And I remember that night, it was so cold. My fingers were completely numb. I couldn't feel them. And I I didn't realize I'd dropped my, my pick and my fingers were strumming against the steel strings. I split all my fingers open and it bled all the way down the guitar. I remember that vividly. But you know, I was only 16 when I was doing that. Um, you know, I went on my first overseas mission trip to Russia as a 17 year old. Um, you know, as a 22 year old student, I was uh, going to do uh, missions and speaking at conferences overseas. I was an elder by the time I was 26 in the local church in Newcastle. And th the point is not that really I was anything special at all. In fact, the opposite was true. I was full of weaknesses and full of flaws and full of uh, areas that were not yet finished in me, but somebody took a risk on me. And if we're gonna grow people, we gotta create space for people to shine. You know, I was in a call today uh, with some student workers and those that work with 20s across uh, different nations. And one of the ladies who was sharing, who was leading the time, shared how she came to Christ when she was on a gap year in America as a student. And she said she was uh, grieving the, the loss of a friend who'd recently died, who was himself a Christian. And while she was away, uh, one day she was just thinking about what this friend told her about Jesus. And so on a train one day, she just prayed and said, God, would you just take away my sadness? If you're really there, give me some joy. And she said instantaneously in the train carriage, she felt the joy of the Holy Spirit bubbling up within her. And for the first time, she didn't feel sad. She felt glad. And that led to her being invited to a church where she was uh, living in Philadelphia. It was just a small church plant of 10 people meeting in a living room. But here was the powerful thing. She said, after week two of going to this small little church, she was asked to lead the Bible study the following week on joy. Because they said, you've experienced something about joy and we want you to come and tell us what you know about the joy of God and lead us in a Bible study by week two of being a believer. And she then has done the same with others that she has now led to Christ. And this is it, friends. We've got to take risks. We've got to create space if we're to see a next generation rise up and come through. So, friends, God is setting before us a mandate and a challenge. Just like he said to me in January, it's time to help raise up a third generation army. It's time for Gehazi to rise up. Friends, will you play your part? This is for every single one of us. 
And really, we've got a choice. We can either engage with third generation issues or we can commit to seeing a movement of God eventually decline and die around us. Friends, one generation is called to commend his works to the next. And so I want to charge you to pray for the next generation, to fast for the next generation, to play your part in building relationships of authenticity and character and risk taking with the next generation. Be someone who makes this a priority in their life. And by God's grace, we're going to see a movement not just continue, but flourish and accelerate across the earth. And so, friends, let's be praying for this together. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today.